The first lesson can be found in the book of Joel, chapter 2, which you can find on page 914 in the Church Bibles. Joel, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 28. God promises to pour out his spirit. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning you can find on page 1134 in the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Christian community in Rome, that is usually known as Romans, chapter 8, reading from verse 1, where Paul is coming to the climax of a long and complicated theological exposition. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the, righteousness requir the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the, to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, of, by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, 
but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you both. Dear. Morning all. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome and to us this morning. We thank you that he wanted to create the true image of the living God in that church. And we thank you that he relied upon you, the Holy Spirit, to pour in to that church that they may know the truth of who you are and who they are. Lord, I give you thanks this day for the life of Chris Rogers, Pete's dad, who died. I thank you for all that I saw of your spirit within him, giving witness to the faithful love and truth of Christ. Thank you for him and pray for him and his family. Thank you for his love of your word that we open now and pray that you may set our hearts on fire that we may serve and please you as we live our lives filled with the spirit knowing we are your children. In Jesus' name, amen. I met the newest member of our church family this week, Victoria, earlier in the cafe. And I was suddenly given Victoria to hold. Quite a, you know, tiny, tiny creature she was, as five pounds she was born. And this just sort of little creature just hold, held in your arms. It could feel quite vulnerable, really. Quite fragile. And I spoke to her dad, Morgan, who simply said that after she was born, he bawled his eyes out. That's the expression he had. I did too. 
as soon as Paul was born. There's something that just overwhelms you in the entire miracle of new life. It's not just that you are the named person on the certificate. You are the father. This child is yours, and a bond is created in your heart, and that bond is love. Something overwhelms us, and Paul is wanting something to overwhelm us as he writes these words in Romans 8. He wants us just not to know, but to experience the new life of Christ that can only be experienced in the power of his Spirit. And I know many of you in this church have been taught well on the Spirit. But in my ministry as I meet people, I realize how much they forget who they truly are. I know this because I experience it myself too. And I believe Paul saw this too, and that's why he's writing to the Romans after a lengthy piece of understanding who they are, where they've come from, and a people that have had so much done for them in Christ. He writes to them because they may forget who they are, who they truly are, that they are children of God. And Paul, in this chapter, chapter 8, is continually assuring He's wanting to give assurance to this church. In days of persecution, as we've heard David pray for today, that is still real for us. He wanted them to be assured that they belong to God. And if you look at the end of chapter 8, these words just ring out. And the ending of chapters are very important here. We shall, what shall separate, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine or nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now you may have shut off in that passage because it's so familiar. It's so well known. Oh yes, I know that one. And we move on. But if you're suffering persecution as this church were, if people we know today are, we would want to be assured that this passage wasn't just written on this page that actually it was very much in our very being. Because Paul is all about Romans 8, assuring us that we belong to God and that we're his children. And that this is the ministry that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit in this chapter alone is mentioned 17 times. And the reason the Holy Spirit convicts us, converts us the way he does, is to assure you that you belong to him and that God belongs to you. That's why the Holy Spirit at times can be disturbing. For we know when we're not living as a child of God. But the joy of the presence of the Holy Spirit is that we know this, Paul is saying. We know when we're not living as a child of God. We know we're out of alignment with who we are called to be. We are disturbed. Something disturbs us when it's not how it should be. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. But does it in a way to assure us? 
Not just say you are bad and I'm going to help you get better. The Holy Spirit continually remember floodlights Jesus and what Jesus has done and wants to assure us that we belong to God and that we are his child. And the ministries of the Holy Spirit in this passage could be summed up by commentators in three ways. Firstly, through regeneration, sanctification, and finally, assurance. Regeneration, very briefly, verse 9 to 11. I'm scratching over these to get to assurance. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit, as we said two weeks ago, and as Bob said on Tuesday, dwells in you. Dwells in you. Spend 10 minutes this week, he was saying, being in the presence of God, knowing that God's presence is in you. Your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the spirit's job is to quicken you. It's to make you alive where you were dead. The way the Holy Spirit does this is not to convict that you are a bad person, that you need to be good. The spirit tells us through Jesus and his death and his resurrection for you that you are a child of the king. That is what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, assuring you of in your identity. In the film, The Cider House Rules, one we haven't seen in film night yet, it's a film about an American orphanage for unwanted babies in the 1940s. And Homer, the manager, is tucking the children up in bed, speaking tenderly over them. He says to them, Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. Homer looked at them and knew that they were not just orphans. No, these boys were kings and princes. And regeneration is that we have been taken from death and given life. We've been renewed by the Spirit. We've been adopted into the family of the King, and God speaks over us through Christ, and all that Christ has done, the King. You are heirs, you are princes, princesses of God, and we are born again. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to bring us into a new understanding of the family that we've been adopted into and who we are. Sanctification, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Regeneration and now sanctification as a ministry of the Holy Spirit. By the spirit you put to death misdeeds of the sinful nature. And Paul earlier writing, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And this goes on and on. The battle is described here, if we are honest, of the battle that we all face. And so often we say stoically to ourselves, I won't do that thing. I won't do that thing that I always do or always say or think. I will break that pattern. I will do this. I simply won't do that again. And in some ways, this is quite a good thing. It's quite a disciplined thing 
to say, I choose not to live like this. But it's not the way that Paul describes the Spirit of God as doing it. By the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And remember that Paul is wanting to assure us that we belong to God, and yet the very things we do seem to separate us, distance us from God, and reveal to us that we simply don't see that the Holy Spirit's main job is to show you the love of Christ and his love for you. How does that kill sin? The Holy Spirit revealing to you the love of God. The Holy Spirit putting to death misdeeds, as Paul writes, is not simply setting our will against superficial sins. I will not do this. The Holy Spirit putting to death the misdeeds is about changing the whole way and center from which we live our lives, the very motivation that we have to do that sin. That's what the Spirit's role is in this area of sanctification. For the witness of the Spirit, as Packer talked about with the cathedral that was lit up and he didn't see where the lights came from, the Spirit, the Spirit's witness is to floodlight Jesus to let us see the beauty of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit reassures us that we are his children and that we belong to God. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have the Spirit dwelling in them. And the only reason you and I keep giving in to temptation, the only reason you lie, you cheat, you steal, the fact that you're addicted, is that it's always about motivation. What is the motivation underneath that drives us to do these things? And the spiritual ministry of sanctification is the Holy Spirit putting to death misdeeds, realigning who we truly are. Because as we live our daily lives, it's so easy to forget that actually I have been regenerated. I am now a child of God. And so the Spirit shakes you and disturbs you and says, this is not who you are meant to be. And that is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit. It's a command. And you must continue to remind yourself of who you are and say, I'm acting as if I'm not a child of the King. I'm acting as if the gospel that I believe in is not true. I'm acting as if Jesus isn't my savior. I'm acting as if he didn't die a cruel death on the cross for me. I'm acting in a way that does not reveal my response to the grace that he simply poured into my life. And this is what the Spirit of God does. It reminds you of who you are and what Christ has done and helps you live out truly who you are. And that is sanctification. The Spirit working within you. Have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. Is that your motivation as you leave here this morning? Or is it on the flesh? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
It's a thinking process too. We need to engage our minds as well as our feelings in seeking to be motivated by the desire of the Spirit within us. That is so, so hard when the world is completely full of another way. And so the ministry of the Spirit is given to us as we move around the world to remind us, you are a child of God. You are a child of the King who died for you. Remember this. Do not forget it. So that when you fall into that temptation or sin, you sometimes can feel the Holy Spirit within you. Then thirdly, high assurance. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Abba, what a word for Paul to use. Suddenly in all this wonderful Greek that he's using, he suddenly starts using an Aramaic word. What the Spirit does is he brings you to a place where you simply have to cry out, Abba, Father. Why does he do this? Why does he use this word? He does it, I think, because Jesus himself used it in Luke 11. Abba, Father, in the Lord's Prayer to the disciples. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus calls God Abba, Abba. And when the disciples heard Jesus say this, they would have been utterly amazed. And Jeremiah, a Jewish scholar, writes, we are confronted here with something new and astounding, for herein lies the great novelty of the gospel. We can call God Abba. Abba, we know, means father. But more than that, it is a word used by children from an early age. Small babies and toddlers can't say complicated words like grandfather, but they can express sounds. And in this, a small child is reaching out through making these sounds for someone to communicate with and expressing a deep need to be loved, as Victoria was, this tiny, vulnerable child, totally unconditionally, by someone that that child can see can do anything, control things, who's powerful, who will care for me and love me, even to the end, the kind of love that will never, ever let me down. That's what we're looking for when we first cry out, Abba, Papa, Mama. This is what Paul is talking about, believe it or not. That's what we're looking for. And unfortunately, though we've reached out for that, that which we've taken hold of has not fulfilled it perfectly. We want someone who will never let us down, who will always be there, someone who will love us no matter what, unconditionally. And this is what Paul is writing about here when he's using the word Abba, a basic childlike desire, the Aramaic word for dada. And this is why it's so new, you see. This is why it's so astounding that the word Jesus used when talking to God and what Jesus means when he uses this word is, you can know God. 
with all the confidence and intimacy of a little child that reaches out to a parent with that utter abandonment and surrender, confidence, and absolute trust and reliance. There is nothing like the way a baby holds your finger. And Victoria, even those tiny little fingers held onto mine. Little ones trust, you see, that they will reach out and hold on. And Jesus is saying, and Paul echoes it in verse 16 by using the term Abba, that the father Abba is the one you've really been looking for all your life. And so many lives have been distorted and ruined because this has not been seen by us. And the Spirit's ministry of assurance is to show us this truth, the truth of how we relate to Abba. And so often we are angry and we are bitter because our father and mother has not been this perfect. Or you may be here this morning feeling as a parent you have failed your child. Or there may be others who've never had the opportunity to be parents. And there is anger and there is bitterness. And the Spirit's ministry is to come and say, they were not the ones you were really after. This is the one you are looking for. And through Jesus Christ, this is the Father you now can have. And verse 15 says, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And there's a contrast here between the spirit of fear and the spirit of sonship, two very different things. And Paul is giving a warning here that you can so easily fall back into fear. As a Christian, you can slide very easily back into it and live under the law, not in the law, as Maltman would say. And we see this in the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son, that story where the younger son says to the father, I wish you were dead because I want your money now. And I want to go off and I want to enjoy the money and I want to enjoy my life the way I want to live it and not live the way you are living. And so he goes off and squanders his wealth on wild living, ends up in a pigsty. And then the dialogue goes on with himself. When he realizes he's reached rock bottom, when he realizes actually he isn't actually meant to be eating what the pigs is, he's not a pig. He's actually the son of a father. That's his true identity. He is a child of a father. But he has this discussion with himself. I'll not go back as a son. What I'll do is I'll go back as a hired hand. You see, my dad will never accept me as a son again after what I have done. I can come back and I can relate to him like an employee to an employer. I'll live in where the servants live. I know he'll always be judging my performance. I know I will never get it right. But after what I've done, I know I could never come back and know him as son again. I know I could never live again in his home. I know he could never, ever love me unconditionally again. And so he starts this speech with the father who has been looking out for him, who now runs to him, throws his arms around him, and the father doesn't even let him finish the sentence. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then his father throws his robe on him over all his shame, all his mess, 
and covers him with sheer grace. And Jesus says to all those who are there, this is the perfect father. This is the perfect father. And you can know him because of what I have done for you. And the Holy Spirit gives to each of us the experience of this embrace that makes us feel we are accepted in spite of our failure, our lack of ability to perform and keep up. And in verse 15, we return to sanctification theme. For you and I, we live our lives and then someone comes along and criticizes you. We did this with Mike this week where we had a tasting session in the cafe. He had these three dishes. It was like MasterChef. And we all had to go and taste them. And I said, oh, Mike, I think your croutons are too big here. And your chicken's too chunky. And your parmesan is too, you know, it's not flaked enough. He went off crying. He didn't. But he suddenly felt he'd got something wrong. And it's devastating sometimes to be told you're not good enough. You're not up to it, really. What do we do with that? Well, the Holy Spirit's ministry to us says we should not forget who we are. We shouldn't act as if their approval is more important than God's approval. And the ministry of sanctification kicks in in verse 15 and reminds us of who we are, if you remember. You are a child of God, floodlighting what Jesus has done for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and we forget it. But sometimes, you know, verse 15 simply isn't enough. And we need verse 16. And the Spirit comes, and the Spirit of God does something amazing. He does this. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The scene here is a scene of a court because it's a legal word, this testifies. And see, here you are having a normal day. And in a normal day, your spirit is already testifying that you're a child of God. You've left the front door. You know you're a child of God. Verse 15 is in you. Great. And because Christ is in you, However, someone says something against you, like as if they're writing graffiti on your heart, and the Spirit comes and removes it from you by reminding you that you are a child of God. How can I forget this, you say? I'm forgetting that he loves me. I'm acting as if he's not with me, and I'm giving this person far too much power over me. When I'm living under the power and authority of Christ who died for me, he is the only verdict. His is the only verdict that matters. Sanctification. That's what we do, isn't it, in our conversations? However, sometimes the Spirit comes alongside you and testifies with you and assures you personally. And there's a picture of a trial going on and the jury are not so sure of the verdict and doubt is suddenly in play. And then in comes a new defense witness who sits down and brings new evidence to light that breaks the case open and everyone sees the truth. And the Spirit descends on you and says to you directly, and says to you intuitively, you are a beloved son of God. You are a beloved daughter of the King. And that is the witness of the Holy Spirit. 
And that is my testimony. As somebody who grew up always thinking I had to be caring and do things in order to be loved in my home. In the hotel trade, I've just followed on. In the ministry, you do the same thing. Then God said, stop, and took me away for three months on sabbatical. The first eight days were a silent retreat. God woke me up at four in the morning, four in the morning. All this silence for eight days, and he wakes you at four in the morning. And he called me to a specific place in this retreat center. And there he showed me, verse 16, there he showed me that love bade me welcome and that I too could sit down and taste his meat. And I wasn't just a hired servant for God. I was a beloved son. I'd been in ministry 15 years. And then I came here. The presence of the Holy Spirit, who I hope doesn't wake you at four in the morning, but might do, is like a friend who simply brings comfort by being there, assuring you. How do you get that? How do you get that assurance? We read our Bible. We listen to sermons, a song, a prayer, and something leaps out at you personally, grabs you takes hold of you, assures you that this is your truth, this is for you. And you know this deep within you, deep in your gut. And you, I know, must have found this in your Christian life, where God just breaks in powerfully. So much today we think we can control. We push buttons and things happen. And so we begin to think that we have all the, so we think all we have to do is line up all the ducks to get this experience of assurance. We've got to sing the right songs. We've got to sing it 20 times. We've got to sing with our hands in the air because that's the last time I felt the Holy Spirit when my hands were in the air. I can only go to Peter to be prayed for because that's who the Holy Spirit worked through. And I will only ever go to Peter. I've got to have the gift of tongues because everybody else seems to have that and I don't. And we think we can control. And we try and control this witnessing spirit, his presence. And we think it's all about cause and effect. But I say to you today, you can't do this. This is the spirit of God we are speaking of. He is called the wind in John 3. And you cannot harness the wind. I was walking on the coastal path between Sidmouth and Beer. And there was a field of wheat. And suddenly the wind came and the wind moved the grass, the wheat. It was amazing. And we experience the wind by what we see and what we feel. We know the wind is moving, even though we can't see the air, because we feel, and that is the Spirit's work. And I close by returning to the film, The Cider House Rules about an orphanage, remember. In one scene, a child, Curly, who's been there since birth, is standing alone by a window in the corridor, waiting longingly to be chosen. A suitcase is next to Curly in the orphanage. But soon, the truth dawns. 
No one's asked for him. No one wants him. This not only happens in films that tell a real life story, but it's happening down our street. A child I know who goes out onto the balcony every afternoon waiting to see if her father is going to come home for her to make her feel that she is a princess. Yes, his name is on her certificate, but he's not present. And her mother has told me he never will, but still she goes out on the balcony. Many of you here today know you've been saved. If you don't, see me afterwards. You know the journey from death to life, regeneration through the saving work of Christ on the cross and the ministry of the flood-lighting Holy Spirit who brings that truth to bear. Many of you, like me, know the daily struggle of life in remembering who you are and the identity you are and how you lead that identity out in the life that you lead and the struggle that can be and the Spirit's ministry of sanctification to help you. Many of you know the first two, but the true Deep assurance that you are a beloved child of God is not your experience. And you're sat here this morning like Curly or the little girl on the balcony, wondering if God the Father wants you. Not for what you can do for him, but just that he wants you. So do you know the Father's love this morning as his child? Paul in Romans 8 is assuring us that it's your birthright. It's your birthright as a child of God and that's what the Holy Spirit's ministry is to remind you of. So I simply invite you in what's left of this service to come and get a copy of words from God that are at the front here that will tell you that will assure you that you are his child. It may be as you pick up those words, you may want to stay and have someone pray with you. And I ask the prayer ministry to linger. If you do want prayer, just sit in a seat, either there or at the front, and someone will come and pray God's spirit within you. And ask Abba to renew this truth in you today, to renew the experience of the peace of his presence, to feel it, to experience it, even for the first time, for this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I am saying, through my experience. So come and let the Spirit assure you today, you are his child, and nothing, 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 is ever going to take that away. Ever. Come and allow the Holy Spirit this morning to remind you of who you truly are and be filled with joy. For Abba, Abba invites you to experience his love Amen.